be able to trust our God and may he work in all that he has. Well, tonight we want to invite you as we're back in the book of Proverbs tonight, continuing our verse-by-verse study, but kind of moving at hopefully a faster pace and trying to cover as much as we can. And we're journeying in the book of Proverbs, so you're welcome to open up a, a Bible, but we also want to continue to hold before you just an op- option for you. We, on our Wednesday nights, have been doing something different just for the book of Proverbs, and that is that we've been printing. Uh, the chapters out of the book of Proverbs. So you could have had this booklet that's available out at the foyer. If you need one, you can still grab one. It has the entire chapter of chapter 14. We'll see how much we get to make it through that tonight. But really is just an opportunity for you to be able to track along with us and even use it to take notes. Very quickly, for you guys who are joining us online, we want to make sure that you also know that there's an opportunity for you to do this. And so if you want a copy of of the booklet, you can go to our website at calvaryroswell.com. Under the messages, there's a little section that says download. You would just click that, download it. There would be a PDF that you could print out or just use on an electronic device, however that works for you. But if that's where you are, you can join us in that. Again, the aim uh, is that it just gives you the freedom to perhaps mark it up in ways that you might not do in a different way, and you don't have to use uh, my uh, just pattern, but I wanted to make sure you understand where we're going to go. I'm going to use colors because colors make it easier here on the screen. We'll use kind of green for what is good, red for what is bad. We'll either do a circle or a box for the main thing, and then a line out of that, depending on the color, for what's flowing out of that. We use purple in that sense for if it's God or his character and a little blue uh, kind of line there that'll just really note the connection because most of the Proverbs are this beautiful kind of contrast or connection between two lines. And so hoping that that'll work. Again, you can use whatever fashion you want to, but again, the hope of the booklet is that you could just mark it up more than you would. Well, with that as an opportunity and invitation, let's take a moment and just pray. I'm going to ask that God would meet us in his word and hoping you would ask as well, and just longing that God would help us to hear from him. And so that as we study his word, that you would both understand it. But I'm hoping that something sticks tonight, that something out of what is said would be like, okay, that's what I needed to hear. And I believe God would be faithfully doing that, so I'm inviting you to ask for it. Father, we come right now, and I'm so grateful for your word. I'm so grateful that you are true, and you have given us your truth. Jesus, I think about what you said, that if we would know the truth, the truth would set us free. God, would you work that tonight? Would you work that in a way that is just both communicating to us truth, helping us understand the things that are before us? But in your faithfulness, Lord, I am asking that there would be something that would be personal, that out of whatever we cover this evening, there would be something that just lands, and and we would know that that's what we needed to hear, that that's the the, the part that you're working into us, and then would you work it? You said that your word can transform us from the inside out. I believe you, and I'm asking for that tonight. I'm asking that you would work in a way that would cause us to understand that which you have for us. We pray for that together right now, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, the book of Proverbs is certainly a book of wisdom, a place where God is communicating to us how to have and and what wisdom is. You know, and I found myself just thinking about it as we're kind of beginning a new year and kind of back into it, just in one sense, just in a very simple way, what is that? What is wisdom? Well, if we were to give a dictionary definition to it, wisdom is the ability to discern or judge what is true, 
right, or lasting. Wisdom is that ability to look and say, okay, that's, that's, that's true, and that's the right thing, and that's even the lasting, eternal kind of thing. Wisdom helps us make those kinds of decisions. Maybe one of the things that's helpful is to contrast wisdom with knowledge. Knowledge is information, information that's gained through experience, reasoning, or acquaintance, where we learn something that we didn't know before, that it's you know, a, a gaining of knowledge, and true knowledge obviously comes from God and His Word. Now, these are very similar, but they are different. In one sense, you could put it this way, you can have knowledge without wisdom, but you cannot have wisdom without knowledge. Hey, it's possible sometimes people that know things and they just don't have the ability to, like, what do you, I mean, you you should have known better, like, you know, but you're not putting it into practice, but wisdom only flows out of knowledge. For just silly example, and you, you might have, you know, knowledge to how to drive a car, you know, or how to, you know, you know, use a handgun kind of thing, but wisdom would show you how. Wisdom would tell you when and where and what. It's the thing that allows you to kind of put into practice the things that are there. Wisdom becomes that place where we take the knowledge that we have and use it rightly. Now, I don't know about you. I don't know if that sounds appealing to you. I don't know if that sounds like, well, that sounds like a great thing. It does to me. One of my favorite quotes is from Alexander McLaren, a pastor back in the you know, late, late 1800s, early 1900s, he said, to know beyond doubt what I ought to do and knowing, to have no hesitation or reluctance in doing it seems to me to be heaven upon earth, and the man that has it needs but little more. I just love the way he says that. He says, here's the thing. If I know, if I knew what I was supposed to do, I mean, just like, okay, that's the right decision here. That's the right way to go. That's that's heaven on earth. Uh, that, that's, that's that place where Jesus even prayed that, right? That his will would be done, or that we were to pray for his will to be done on earth as is in heaven, and yet there's a longing for that. So it's with that that Proverbs comes to us, a place where God is speaking to us, not just about knowledge, though knowledge is found here. It's primarily a place where he's telling us, okay, what do you do with knowledge? How do you take the things that God has given us and apply it into a way, into our lives that is altogether wise? And that's where we need to go this evening. That's what we're going to be looking at as God would just seek to communicate to us how to have that, how to have this place to know what beyond doubt what I ought to do to help us navigate the places in life. So with that as a beginning, let's begin here in chapter 14, verse 1, and again, we'll just work our way and see how far we can make it as each proverb really almost stands alone. And so it's going to be just all over the map and different things that we cover, but may God open it to us. So verse 1 says, the wise woman builds her house, but the foolish pulls it down with her hands. So we note this, and we kind of note the good thing is he's talking to this woman who's wise and speaking to one who would take wisdom. He says, if you would do that, then what that would do would be building a house. It would be that which is uplifting and building it up. In contrast, and it is a contrast, he says the, the foolish, obviously the foolish woman in this, in this space, pulls it down with her hands. Now, this is a pretty powerful proverb. Now, we do not have time to go into it incredibly deeply, but I just want to tell you it's bigger than I can put into words here this evening. Again, it's probably helpful for all of us just to even note there's two ways of going this. Wisdom would be that which is building up. 
Folly would be that which is tearing down. That applies into all of our lives and just kind of where we're going. But I want to speak, as this proverb does, to, to ladies and very specifically to wives and mothers and just tell you what you need to know is that there is this incredible power that God has put into your life, a place that when we think about what a home is, Sometimes people use that, that word home builder or homemaker, and it sometimes often comes off in a weird way in our world as some kind of insult. I want to tell you it's not. There is something that is inherent all the way through Scripture in the power of a woman to make or break a home. So much so you can go back to the curse in Genesis, and you'd find out that the curse, when God details the curse out to Eve, it's about family. It's about what it's going to do to marriage. It's about what it's going to do to family. You would go into the New Testament, and you would get God's you know, design for marriage, and he would speak to the woman as one who would really create that space in a home. And I just want to tell you that there is a there's place inside of you that, ladies, you are going one of two directions. Either you are making a home, Either you are seeing that building up, and it's a long process in, in the midst of it, or you are tearing it down with your own hands, and you have the power to do so. Think about it this way. D- Dave Guzik, in his commentary, said, the woman of a home has tremendous power to make it a better or a worse place, more so, and I would put it this way, than, than, than the men in the home. It's not that men don't have any responsibility. It's not that there's no space there, but I'm just telling you very quickly that ladies, there's just something to, to recognize there. And, and hopefully just to call you to say, I would like that. I'd like to be one who is building. Doesn't have the idea that it's perfect because there is no perfect yet on this side of eternity. But tonight you are going one of two directions. Either you are building it or with your own hands, you are tearing it down. And there's a lot of ways that that happens, but it's enough for us just to look at this proverb and say true and invite you in that direction that says, okay, I want to be one that's learning how to be wise because I want the wisdom to be a blessing to my home. I want to create that space that God would want that to be there. And ladies, you have incredible power to do so. Well, much more to be said there. Hopefully that makes sense. If not, you can ask later. We'll dive into it more, but hopefully God will meet you there. Well, go on down. Next one. Verse 2, he who walks in his uprightness fears the Lord, and he who is perverse in his ways despises him. So he begins kind of with the impact of it. He says, okay, here's this person who is walking in his uprightness, that it's flowing out, that he's living that out. Now, we pause really quickly uh, to say something we say most evenings here in Proverbs because it's really important that we begin to understand the contrast. He's holding between us between righteousness and folly, uprightness here, and one who is perverse. And the biblical definition of that's really important. What does it mean to be right? Well, I love the way the New Testament tells it to us that if you're a follower of Jesus, we are the righteousness of God in Christ, that we are made right with God. And simply put, nobody can be right with God outside of Jesus. There's no way to have that. There's no way that that would ever work out. And so it begins there, understanding that this isn't just some kind of practical you know, wisdom that applies and works for anybody. No, the only way that that works is by, first of all, having a relationship with Jesus and, and, and in that walking in it. That said, Proverbs is this picture of this person who's living that out, who is not just positionally right with God, but is seeking to walk in that wisdom. And so certainly that's what he's talking about here. He says, if you're doing that, 
you're, you're, you're walking, you are stepping out, if you will, and, and living out that righteousness that is yours, that uprightness of heart. He says, here's what that thing is. That then is fearing the Lord. That that's a place where you recognize who God is and, and that's marked that way. But, he says it this way, the one who is perverse in his ways, who is doing wickedly and going the wrong ways, he says, then you are one who despises him. It's a pretty simple proverb in some ways, but let's just make it clear. I mean, it really is proved by our practice that, that someone can say, oh, I fear God. I, I, I love God. And he's like, well, if it's not being lived out in your life, no, you don't. No, you don't. I mean, there's no, I mean it's, it's so much more than words. The one who is saying, I want to walk in the ways of God, that, that really is a fear of God. That that really is a place of saying, I believe there's a God and I'm living in light of it. But the one who is not doing that, who is you know, doing your own thing and rejecting God's ways, you despise him. Even though the odd thing is, I might be speaking to somebody right now, you would not use those words. You would not say it that way. You're like, oh, I believe in God. I, I, I do. I just, you know, kind of been doing my own thing, you know. I just, you know, don't want to live this legalistic, you know, kind of life. It's like, well, no, you despise him. If you reject his ways, it's as simple as it gets. And he's inviting us into a place that what our lives are, are practically living out what we believe and telling us without doing that, then it isn't real. It's just a pretty simple proverb. We kind of understand that, you know. We, you know, we, you know speak to, you know, children, you know, you're, what, you, what you do shows who you are. What you, what, how you live that out really becomes proof of it, certainly powerful and certainly true. Well, verse 3, in the mouth of a fool is a rod of pride, but the lips of the wise will, perverse, will perver, <laughs> preserve, got to get that, preserve them. Okay, so what do we got here? Well, in one sense, he's saying, okay, in the mouth of a fool, you know, in this, this place of, of, of how that would work is, is a rod of pride, is a, a place in there. But uh, the lips of the wise uh, will preserve them. And I totally just realized right now I got my colors mixed up there. So if you're trying to track it, like, I don't understand, Jim. It's like, I don't even realize how I did that. So uh, if you got that already, you're really there. But uh, I think you can still understand. So here's this place, this, this mouth of a fool has this rod of pride. Track with me for a moment, because this is one of those ones that has a great deal of depth there that we can't get entirely to. So the person who's, who's walking this, who's living a foolish life, he says their own mouth becomes a rod. Their own mouth becomes a rod of pride. A rod, a rod in the scripture, it is used as the mark of discipline, uh, of how, you know, that he would tell us in Proverbs, hey, that, you know, fathers discipline your children. That, you know, the, you know the, if you don't, you know, use the rod. And so the rod is used as a tool of discipline. And so he's telling us here that the mouth of the fool, it is actually their own source of discipline. That their own mouth becomes their undoing. That their own mouth becomes this place, this prideful person in their, in their own mouth. It will become that which will be their own destruction. It will become that which is their own undoing. Again, just using David Guzik's commentary because I like the way he said it. He said, The fool's pride finds a rod in his mouth that lashes himself. He is his own worst enemy. So someone who is rejecting God, their own mouth, it's as if 
is the thing that they are beating themselves up. They are they're wounding themselves. They are, you know, dealing harshly with themselves. And, and there's a folly to this. There's almost this place where you can look at and say, man, you know, to reject God's ways, you are lashing yourself. You are wounding yourself. You're doing this in a way that is incredibly destructive in a place that would be there. And so he says, hey, in that mouth of a fool is that rod of pride. But on contrast, and a good thing, again, opposite my colors that I have on the screen, uh, the lips of the wise, it, it protects us. Uh, you know, that because we're trying to walk out what we believe and we're trying to say that, the, the, even the way that we do that, instead of it being something that is being our own enemy and, and bringing in our own destruction, it's this place of that which can be protective and that which can be, that which would be something that would preserve our lives. And it's a beautiful thing. I mean, I hope you're going to get it that God's inviting you towards this place of saying, hey, you know, if you would walk in God's wisdom, you would be protected from your own mouth being that which would bring problems into your life, and your own mouth that would be this rod of pride that would bring in destruction and pain and sorrow. And a good place for it to come to think, okay, that's what we long for. We long for God's wisdom and long that He would grow us in that. All right. Well, if you're using the booklet, you can turn the page at Proverbs 14, verse 4. He says, Where no oxen are, the, the trough is clean. But much increase comes through the strength of an ox. So in one sense, we look at this, and as we're going to try to think about it, it's not really a proverb that is so much about a, a good or a bad thing. It's more of a statement of fact. So I'm going to use a, a very a different color. I'm just going to use blue uh, for it this, day, this, this evening because it's just a statement. It says if there's no oxen, if you don't have any animals there, then, you know, the trial is clean. There's, it's not a mess. Then the, the stalls are clean in the midst of that, but much increase much increase, and that's the flow out of it, comes from the strength of an ox. It's an interesting proverb. It is actually one that uh, means a lot to me, and God has used it in my life, and I'll just try to kind of communicate it in some simple ways. For starters, it's not a hard one to understand, right? I mean, you could think about it this way. I mean, you could put it into your own life. You know, not having anybody in the house makes a clean house, you know, but not having anybody in the house makes it awful empty. You know, it makes it really lonely. But with many more people, it becomes a big mess. You know, it becomes something that you, you so it's just like people make messes. And, and if, you, if you have them in the home, that's what you're going to have to deal with. And so he puts it in this idea of a stall. He says, okay, you know, if you, if you have no animals in the stall, that, then it's, it's clean. But if you have animals, you're going to have to muck it out. You know, I mean, that's just the way it works. I mean, you're, that's just how this whole thing works. And that's a part of the process. Now, that's, that's just a good thing in life to think about, but certainly it has some bi even biblical principles. One of the things that sometimes is, is needed to hear in the midst of that is just to hear even in dealing with people. I mean, it's really this proverb that's been used not just for me. It's not just original with me. I've definitely heard it in other places, but sometimes even within the idea of a church is just one of those reminders, like where people are there are messes. I mean, like, that's how this works. I mean, if you have people, then, yeah, you know, no people would mean no messes. I mean, that's just how it works. But if, but if you're going to have people in a church, then what you're going to expect is to have to deal with both problems and pain and messes, and that's just the, the way this works. I think about it this way. William McDonald tried to say the same thing this way in his commentary. He says, this proverb is not intended to encourage our homes or our chapels to look like disaster areas, but it does discourage 
that passion for order and dustlessness that puts the brakes on progress and productiveness. And there is a space where sometimes people could be like, no, it's just got to be clean. It's got to be perfect. It's got to be, you know, and, and so much so that that just quenches. And sometimes it happens in a church. Sometimes people can be like, no, no, you know, there just can't be anything wrong. There can't be any problems. There can't be any, you know, issues with people. And there can't be any conflict. And there can't be anything going wrong. And the issue is when you pursue that kind of level of perfection, you, you drive people out and you quench anything. But if you have people, it's just one of those things. I mean, it's just, you know, we, we've been known to say it in the office. And uh, when Pastor Phil and I are here, it would just be one that we would quote every now and then. Just like, yep. Yeah. With, you know, with, with, with much, you know, with oxen becomes, you know, mucking it out, you know, it's just it was your turn, you know, I mean, whatever, you know, it's just kind of how it works in the midst of it, but you kind of just look at it and just think that's how it works and, and say, we expect that. And it's just one of those places, it's just a helpful thing to understand. It certainly is helpful for me and, and however it applies into your life again, but there is a place of just almost just not being surprised by it. Of just saying, yeah, that's, that's what we expect because that's how it works in the midst of having a broken world. All right. Verse 5. A faithful witness does not lie, but a false witness will utter lies. Pretty simple one, really, quite honestly, right? So someone who's faithful, a faithful witness, doesn't lie. I mean, you, you, you speak and you tell the truth. In contrast to it, the, the false witness will utter lies. It seems so simple, and yet sometimes it just needs to be heard because we do live in, a, in an age where sometimes there's so many people that come up with, with ways around this. Jesus would deal with this, and he would talk about, say, you know, let your yes be yes and your no be no. I mean, you, what you say, it means it. Don't come up with it. Well, you know, well, I didn't, I didn't swear by it. You know, I mean, I didn't really, you know, I mean, so if you're faithful, speak the truth. It's just that's, that's how it works. And if, and if you don't speak the truth, then it's a false witness. That's really where it lands. And he just calls us to this place of integrity. Now, again, not meant to be condemnation because God will rescue you. If you need forgiveness, get it even now. But it is a place of us saying, hey, that is what it looks like. It's as clear as that. You know, being deceptive, being lying. In a world that's so marked by that, we are not meant to be marked by that. We are meant to be marked as a people of the truth and faithful and one who is that, and not one who, you know, is a false witness in the midst of it, and God just simply calls us and says, hey, that's what it looks like. Be that kind of person in a deceptive world. May you be a person of truth. Verse 6, a scoffer seeks wisdom and does not find it, but knowledge is easy to him who understands. So we gaze in here, and he's talking about a scoffer. A scoffer is one who is rejecting, who is, in this sense, the opposite of someone who is, you know, sensitive or, or receptive to God's truth and God's wisdom, who looks at it and says, I, I don't need any of that. I don't need, you know, God telling me what to do. I don't need uh, the Bible. I don't need any of those things. He says a scoffer, well, then seeks wisdom and doesn't find it. The, the scoffer would be one who would say, well, you know, they would look and, and say, well, I, I, I tried to find it. And he says, it's not going to work for you. It's not going to work that way, but knowledge is easy uh, to him who understands, to who has the truth and who understands the truth. So what is this saying? Well, here's the thing. If you're a scoffer, if you're someone who's rejecting God and rejecting his word, and then you try to find God's wisdom, like, hey, I, try, I, I read the Bible. 
I read, it, I read one of the Gospels, or I read a chapter, and you're like, I don't get it. You know, I, I don't understand. It didn't seem to do anything to me. It's not a problem with the truth. It's a problem with you. Uh, it's a problem that you are rejecting God. You're a scoffer. And so it doesn't work. It says, you, even if you seek it, you're not going to find it. It's not going to work that way because God's truth doesn't get to those who reject that. But if you know God and you believe his truth, it becomes easy. Not because we get it, because God is so incredibly gracious that he says, hey, if you will seek me, you're going to find me. If you're really searching for me, I, I will make you find me. God says, if you will draw near to me, I will draw near to you. And I want to communicate to you that if you could put those two things on an equation, God is doing the bigger work. God is doing the bigger work, but he's faithful to do it. That he says, I, I, will, not, I, I will meet you where you are. I will, if you will be on, if you're honestly seeking me, I will, you will find me. I will take my truth. I will bring my word down to you. I will be one. And, you know, Moses would talk about it in Deuteronomy. You know, God doesn't make it something we have to climb a mountain or we have to, you know, go some long way. He says, I'll put it right near to you, right next to you in your heart. And so there's this place, again, of just understanding for those who would accept and say, God, I believe you and I want to know you, that it becomes an easy place where as we seek those things, that God would meet us in that. So, well, very clearly, again, if that's you this evening, if you're one who's here or you're watching online and you're like, well, I don't know, I thought I'd tune in or thought I'd listen, but, you know, I don't really know, I don't believe in God, I don't believe in his word, and it doesn't work for me. I just want to tell you the problem isn't God's truth, it's you. It's you're rejecting God. You're rejecting who he is. And it needs to begin there. It needs to begin in a place of believing that there is a God and then finding him. And then God promises that he would meet you in that. And we hold that to you as a very clear indication that that's the problem. That said, it is bigger than this. And it is practical for all of our lives. And so let me submit it to you in a different way. It has probably happened for you uh, in a space where you did sit down to read the Bible. And you did think, well, you know, I'm gonna, you know, maybe I'm starting, you know, 2022, I'm going to read the Bible, you know, and you thought, well, I'm going to, and then you read, and you're like, I'm not getting anything. You're like, it's not working. I mean, I don't, I, I don't, you know, there's, you know, I'm reading, but it's not really landing. Can I simply kind of communicate in a very gracious but loving way, the problem is not God's Word. The problem is not God's Word, it's you. Uh, and if you find yourself there, then then that's where you need to, to deal with it. And I'll be honest, I do. You know, I'll get there, I'll read through whatever section I get, and sometimes I get to the other side of it, and it's like, I didn't get anything. You know, it's like, I didn't, and it's like, and I know it's not like, it's not like, well, that is really a bad section of the scripture. There's just like nothing there. I know what the problem is. It's like, it was me. It was, you know, I'm the problem, you know, and so it's like, God, you know, where am I? Did I, is there forgiveness that's needed? Am I, am I hard against you for a moment? You know, because I'll, I'll know what the problem is. It's not him, it's me. And if I deal with that and then I go back and read it again, it's amazing. It's like, was that there a moment ago? Like, I don't even remember reading that. It was like, look at that. That is so good. It's like, well, what's the problem? It was me, you know, and so there is a place of just understanding. Hey, knowledge is easy to him who understands. God is like, I will make it. I will put it right before you. I will make you get it because that's the way it works. But if you're not getting it, then there probably is a place that you've entered into scoffing. You're a place of rejecting him or his truth. And so it's just a place of understanding, hey, if we lack it, then, then that's where it is because God is bigger 
and more faithful than I could ever put into words. And he will open up to you his word. He will open up to you his truth. He will make it easy. He will make it something that you can understand. But again, just making sure that it is a hard issue because he promises to come through. All right. Well, flip the page. Uh, Number seven there. Go from the presence of a foolish man when you do not perceive in him the lips of knowledge. So the invitation or the, the places that, hey, we are to run away, like leave, you know, don't put yourself in that space of somebody who is a foolish person. When, and this is kind of the contrast or the comparison, when you do not perceive, when you, when you look there and you don't perceive in him the lips of, the lips of knowledge. So this becomes one of those Proverbs that is saying something we've talked about a few times already in the book of Proverbs, but just to say it again, that bad company corrupts good morals. I mean, the kind of person that you put yourself in their influence is one of those places that God says to take seriously. Now, I want to again just be clear. He's not calling us to be exclusive or only hang out with Christians. I mean, the Bible's really clear. Jesus prayed for us in John 17. God, I don't pray you take them out of the world, but I pray you keep them in the world. We are meant to be in this world. We are the salt of the earth. We are the light of the world. We are to be like Jesus. And Jesus, you know, he was the, that one that could live in the midst of a community. And it would even be known as a friend of tax collectors and sinners because he did engage with the world. So if we have no engagement with the world, that's not a compliment to us. And that's not what this is saying. What it is saying is don't put yourself under the influence of somebody who's going to lead you astray. Don't let that person be the one that's speaking wisdom into your life. So it's, again, this is just a very practical proverb in that way. It says, if you're there, if you don't perceive in that person the lips of knowledge, what knowledge? God's knowledge. If you don't find, hey, this is someone who believes the Bible, who is speaking, because if I want wisdom and wisdom flows out of knowledge, then if I don't perceive, like, okay, you, you don't believe the Bible, do you? <laughs> you don't believe what that is. Okay, never mind. I'm not asking any advice from you. And I'm just, I'm just not going to be there because I, I'm not, I need the wisdom that's going to flow out of a life that believes God's truth. And so I need that. I need other people speaking into my life. But he says, if you find that person who's a foolish person who is rejecting God's word, don't put yourself under their influence. Leave, say, no, I'm sorry. I'm, I'm not letting that person be a spokesperson or a person of wisdom into my life. Pick up very carefully. Because who you allow to speak into your life is shaping your life in bigger ways than you know. So again, what we need is one that believes what we're reading here, and that's the place that we're being called to, that we recognize the the place of that influence that would be there. May God just grow us in that place of wisdom so that we choose carefully who gets to kind of speak wisdom into our lives. Verse 8, the wisdom of the prudent is to understand his way, but the folly of fools is deceit. The wisdom of the prudent, that's the good thing, this place where we're talking about this wise person and the, and the way they, they live their lives. He says, the wisdom of the prudent seeks to understand, like understand their life, understand where they're going to live kind of intentionally, purposely, if you want to think about it that way, but the folly of fools, this person who is living a foolish life is deceit. Uh, we think about what that looks like, and, and we think about how that fl- flows out there. Sorry, there we go. 
you know, we think about how that works in the midst of it. Let's see, I'm sorry. Let me get back. I just, me, me. Sometimes going backwards is, is harder than I mean to. So there we go. All right. So we, we, we think about what's being laid out here and, and this place where he's calling us to understand the, the way this works in our lives. And, and there is a sense of just telling us that the way to live life wisely is to be someone who is in that sense both purposeful intentional in the way that it lives, and it's certainly God's intention for our lives. I like the way it gives it to us in Ephesians. When Paul kind of communicates that to us, he says, see that you walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise. He says, see that you live your life circumspectly. That's a cool word, probably not one you use in your everyday language. So what does it mean circumspectly? It has the idea of very precisely carefully, intentionally. It has the idea that you're, that you're recognizing that the choices I make are, are serious choices. Uh, for me, I tend to think and kind of picture sometimes, and for me, the idea here circumspectly would be the idea is if I took you and dropped you in the middle of a minefield and gave you a map to get out of there, you would walk circumspectly. You'd be like, okay, like, okay, don't step there. Like, then two steps here, you know, it's like, I'm going to be really intentional because if I, if I step poorly, I'm going to go boom, you know, and so I just want to live in a way that that's not going to happen, and so circumspectly say, hey, I, I'm not going to live foolishly, I, I want to choose my choices, I'm going to try to live very intentionally, that's what wisdom looks like, but he says the folly, the folly of uh, fools is deceit, now that's an interesting kind of concept. And again, a lot of uh, Bible students got, went, go a lot of different directions on this. It's a little bit hard to translate, but one of the ones I liked, I was looking into a, uh, a work that does helps translators translate it. And so the, the German-English common language translation, probably not the Bible that you have right there in front of you, but I really liked the way they translated it. So I just thought I'd put it on the screen. They translated the verse this way, whoever is wise has experience and knows what he's doing, but whoever is stupid has only stupidity, and therefore he deceives himself and others. I just want to tell you, it's actually, it's like, I think that's what it's saying. Like, if you are living wise, well, you have experience, and you're like, I know what I'm doing. I, I'm trying to live my life carefully, intentionally. I'm trying to be purposeful. But if you are foolish or stupid, as it would say there, then you, that's all you have. You have your own folly, and that will actually lie to you. That, that your very folly will be the thing that will be your undoing. It will be the thing that kind of leads you into a place of destruction and pain, which is exactly what he's telling us. That he's saying the folly of the fools is deceit. That, that what your, your own kind of place in the midst of that is a place where your folly is, is that which would be both deceiving you into thinking you're okay, but also bringing in incredible pain. Again, I, I just want to tell you, he's calling us to a different way of life. Now, maybe this is where you are. Maybe you're here this evening and you're like, I get it, Jump. You know, if you're not careful, you know, if you're not careful, you, you end up, you know, finding yourself in terrible circumstances or you're like, how did I get here? You know, you, you just, that's the way our world is. And, and so you've learned to live that way. You've learned to say, I'm, I'm going to be precise. I'm going to be careful. And, and so if that's not where you are, that's what he's simply calling you to. He's saying there is no good or godly way to just, hey, you know, just I don't even try. You know, I just whatever happens, happens. I just do whatever, just feel like doing, or just kind of go with the flow. It's like that's not going to work well for you. 
the, the way that God calls us to be is intentional, to be purposeful in the way that we live our lives. And the wisdom of the prudent means I try to understand the course that I'm on. I don't want to be one that's being led astray or being moved into a place that my own folly will be that which will lie to me and lead me into a horrible way. All right. Verse 9. Fools, kind of, continue, kind of tying into this, fools mock at sin. But among the upright, there is favor. So here's this person who's a fool, and everything we just said was, hey, be careful, be intentional, try to do the right thing. Fools look at it and say, Psst, I don't care. You know, I'm, I'm not worried about it. I'm not worried about doing anything. I just do what I do. You know, I just, I can't believe you guys are so strict and, you know, you're, you know, kind of prudish and hard. And I, I'm just not that way, they would say. So that's, that's a foolish way to live. But, he says, in contrast, the upright, the person who's right with God and doing that, there's favor. There's favor. Now, the contrasts are always interesting in these Proverbs, just to say, okay, we're looking at what's being contrasted, and so we're looking at a mockery versus a place where God says, hey, that's where I'll meet with favor. That's where God's blessing would be poured out. It's this place where we long for God to meet us, but that comes from walking rightly. But a fool, a fool rejects this and says, don't tell me what to do. You know, I don't, I don't need anybody directing my life. I don't need anybody, you know, telling me right or wrong. I just do whatever I want to do. And yet that folly would lead you astray. That folly would be your undoing. John Bunyan, uh, the, the writer of Pilgrim's Progress, had a great thought off of this verse, and he simply said it this way, fools make a mock of sin, which is kind of how it began there in that proverb, but this is kind of poetic. It says, fools make a mock of sin and will not believe. It has a fearful dagger up its sleeve. How can it be, they say, that such a thing, so full of sweetness, heirs should wear a sting? I mean, how could this sin be a bad thing? They, they know not that it is the very spell of sin to make them laugh themselves to hell. Look to thyself then and deal with sin no more, lest he who saves against thee shuts the door. She says, don't, don't take this lightly. Don't be this person that thinks, I don't, I don't know why you guys are so hard about this. I don't know why it would be that you would you know, be so restrictive, but that's the road that leads to hell. That's the road that takes you down this road where you, where you mock at it and mock at everything that's there, and God calls you away from that. But it's more than just protection. It's blessing, because that's what he's saying. Among the upright, that we're not mocking at sin, we're not saying no, we're not saying, God, I reject you or reject your ways. Not only are we doing that which is right, that's where God's favor pours out. That's where blessing and help and strength and, and, and work takes place that would say that's not only the right place, but it is the place that God says he would meet us and, and be strengthened to our hearts and be strengthened to our lives. And certainly that's exactly what we need into a place that we long that that would be just a part of where God brings us into that. All right. Verse 10, the heart knows its own bitterness and a stranger does not share its joy. Here among this proverb, again, we have one of these ones. It's not really a statement that is good or bad. It's more of a statement of fact. So again, I'm going to use blue for that. It says, here's this heart, and that's the idea of this person inside of you and who you are, the inner person. When the Bible uses that, it's not just an emotional kind of picture. When the Bible uses the word heart, we would say it's the real you, the inside you, the person that's on the inside. The heart knows its own bitterness, and a stranger does not share its joy. 
It's a good proverb. Process it through with me just for a moment. It's just true. Nobody else can enter into where you are. Nobody else can, can experience that in your life. Your, your sorrows and your joy is first of all yours. That's just helpful to know sometimes because sometimes we just want to bring people into that and we don't understand, you know, how that works. And uh, sometimes it's just helpful to know. It's like, hey, you know, if I, if I, this is where I am and, and there's no way to fully, you know, for anybody, even as much as they try to, to, to really enter into that. And that would just kind of get past some frustrations when you're trying to like, I don't, how come I can't get to get it? You know, like, I just want you to understand what I'm getting. It's like, well, that's yours. I mean, to a certain extent. But it's also helpful in, in dealing with others. One of the big mistakes that people make in this regard is that they assume that they can enter into somebody else's either sorrow or joy. And so they'll say something like this. You know, they, go, they find somebody who's having a really hard time and they'll come up to them and maybe say, oh, I totally understand what you're going through. Like, I, I, I mean, I, you know, totally, I, I get it, I know where you are, and this is where that is, and I want to say in a very careful but loving way, no, you don't. No, you, no, you, there's nobody who can really enter into that. In one sense, that would almost be like a Job's comforters that come in and can diagnose somebody else's problems. Now, it doesn't mean that we shouldn't be comforted into somebody else's life, it, but the thing you can do is you can come to somebody and say, Hey, boy, that's a hard space. In a space that was like that, I can tell you how God met me. I can tell you what he is to me and, and, and work that. But there is just a place of just understanding. I mean, because it is one of those places, and, and maybe, you know, you do this, or maybe somebody's done it to you. And they, they come up to you, and they kind of say that, and instead of making you feel embraced or understood, you find yourself feeling, I don't, I don't know. I mean, they don't know what I'm going through. They, they can't experience my joy. They, they don't know my sorrow. And instead of it being a connecting thing, it actually causes you to feel even more isolated. And I want to tell you, it's, it's just not true. That, that folly of someone thinking, hey, well, I, I know you. I know exactly what you're thinking. I know exactly what you're going through. I can tell you what to do. It's never true. It's never true. You can, you can give advice. You can give counsel. You can speak out of what God has done in you. But there is a place of just understanding, and, and there's just power in this. There's just this place of, of recognizing against that, and it's just helpful to kind of look there and say, oh, no, the heart, it knows its own bitterness, and a stranger can never fully share in its joy. It, it is, in that sense, something that is us. You know, the only one that can get past that is God, who is the God who meets us and, and does know us and can see everything about us and knows every thought that we think and knows every, he's the one that does that, but nobody else can, and just a good place of wisdom. And again, just maybe helpful um, just for us as we seek to walk along other side other people that we just more carefully recognize, you know, the place that instead of being helpful, it becomes a Job's comforter, which nobody wants to be. Well, leave that one with you. You can turn the page, number 11. It says, The house of the wicked will be overthrown, but the tent of the upright will flourish. So there is a contrast in the house. And the idea is this, imagine maybe probably in the idea is this lavish, you know, well-built house kind of thing. He says, that's gonna, the, for the wicked, that's going to go away. You can look at anybody who's wicked right now, no matter what they have, that's going to come to an end. But in contrast, the tent of the upright will flourish. You get it, right? If you are right with God, the very little that you have is better than the, the greatest riches of the wicked. Because you can look at it right now. I'm telling you, this isn't just, you know, some kind of poetic thing. It's just simply true. If you could look out at our world today and see all those who are wicked, no matter how much they have, 
no how much is in their bank accounts, no matter how big their houses are, no matter if they have a personal plane or whatever, you can look and think, that's going to go away. That's going to go away. It's going to be overthrown. But if we live in this life, and so we, maybe we never have it. You know, maybe we never like, well, I live in a tent. I mean, I don't even own a home. You know, like I just have a tent. But I'm righteous. You could look and say, that's going to last. What you have, and, and then not only that, you're going to inherit the earth, as Jesus says. It's, it, the, 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 the place that that's going is incredibly great. And so he's calling us to a value system that values righteousness over stuff, over things. Where you're like, okay, it's not about what you have. Because if it's bad, it's going to go away. But I would rather have small and be right with God. Because that's an eternal thing. That's a place that would call us to live in a way that's altogether good and to have, in that sense, an eternal valuation of who we are and what we have. Verse 12, there is a way that seems to right to a man, but the end is the way of death. There is a way, there's a place of processing life, he says, that you look at it and it seems to be right. And he thinks, I think this is a good way to live. It seems like that's a, that's a good thing to do. But he says, but at the same moment, it's a way that leads to death. The end of where that's going is death. This is a really important proverb, so much so that God is going to say it twice. He's going to have this proverb in chapter 16 as well, verbatim. So he says the same thing twice. I'm always in that place, okay, if he says it twice, like exactly, like this is one that I need to make sure I'm paying attention to. And it's really an important one. See, because he says, here's the thing. There are people who, in this sense, are rejecting God and rejecting his word, but it seems right to them. It's like, hey, you know, if it feels good, do it. You know, I think it's a good way for me to live. I think it's a, a good way for, for me to go. And he says, but that's just because you feel confident about it doesn't mean it's good. If you're rejecting truth, if you're rejecting God, that's going to go badly for you. And it's one of those simple but profound things. I mean, we think about it, right? We, we would say it this way, that sometimes, you know, the road to hell is paved with good intentions. I mean, there are people that choose to do wrong. In our world, there are a handful, if you will, of people that say, I reject God. I want to do evil. I'm like, I'm welcoming going to hell. There are some who really are in that space. It's a pretty weird thing. But for most people that are on the road to hell, they're on what Jesus described as the broad road, you know, a place where they think it's going to go well for them. It's like, I think this is, you know, this seems like a good way to live. I, I, I'm tr- this is my standard of good or my standard of right and wrong. And yet what, you know, Jesus would tell us when he says, hey, the narrow way leads to life and that's the only way. Or what it's saying here in Proverbs is it doesn't matter if, you, if it feels good to you. It matters if it's right. It matters, I mean, what's the, what's the thing that defines the, the right and wrong of life? And it's not what you feel. It's not whether you think, well, I, I feel okay about it. And yet, I know that you know this. I mean, that's our world. I mean, again, there are a few people that are just choosing to go to hell, but most people, that's not true. If you sit down and talk to them, and some of you have a friend, some of you have a family member, and you tell them, hey, Jesus is the only way. Jesus is the only way. And they're like, hey, that's nice for you. Glad that works for you. Um, but I kind of think, you know, you know, I kind of think as long as you do, and, you know, I try to do this, and, and I'm just telling you, well, there's a way that seems right to you, but that's not going to go, the end of that is death. 
the end of this, this place of you just you know, being the own gauge of right or wrong, that's, that's one that's going to lead to destruction. And he calls us away from just this kind of statement of deciding right or wrong based on what you feel. I really want to say this better because I, I think it makes sense, but I'm just telling you it might be more dangerous than you know. Because in one sense, sometimes that's how we can live, uh, a place where we decide what we're doing, not on the basis of it's right or wrong, but on the basis of, well, it kind of feels good. I found myself thinking about this. Some of you are reading with us in the book of Samuel, and, and, I, and I love just the account of God raising up this young man, David. And yet, preface to this is, is Saul. And if you were reading with us, you read about how Saul had become king and had placed there, and he'd started out good, started out humble, and then he gets to a place where he's, he's sent to, to, to go to, to, to war, and he's sent to go in, in battle and, and stuff, and, and it doesn't happen the way that he thought. And it seems that as the Philistines are getting nearby, the, the armies are moving away, the children of Israel are hiding in caves, and he makes this really horrible decision. He decides, as the king, that he's going to make a sacrifice. He's going to step into the role of a priest and, uh, you know, do his own sacrifice to kind of bring in God's favor. And and so he does this, but God takes incredible offense. God recognizes both the arrogance and the folly of this, and he calls Samuel to, to go and tell Saul, that was your undoing. This was the place that, you know, you lost the kingship. And so Saul's trying to explain it. And he's like, well, you know, I was afraid and the people were going away from me. And, uh, you know, and, and, and he just says, and it just felt, you know, he just says, you know, you know, kind of got there and, you know, it just felt like I should make a sacrifice. I just, I, I felt that I should do this, that it, you know, it just seemed right to me. And, and, you know, Samuel's able to tell him, God is looking for a man after his own heart, one who will heed his commandments one who will say, what God commands, I do, that I, I live my life not by this gut feeling kind of place, but a place where it's like, you know, it's, it's not about what I feel. It's about what God says. And I want to tell you that that delineation is really important. And the danger is we live in such a world that for some of us, we could be even here tonight. And the truth is, we're living by our own standard. You know, it's like, well, if it feels good, you know, I kind of, I try, you know, it, it, it just seemed like I should, instead of saying, well, you know, that's what God says. I mean, that's what God, it's like right there. It's like, this is what God says, and whether I feel like it or not, that's what it is, and, and I want to live by commandment, I want to live by truth. And he calls us into a place that that would be the way that we live our lives in such a huge place where we would say, okay, it's not about what seems to be right. It's about what is right. It's about truth and the standard of truth being God and the standard of truth being his word. May God make it so. All right. Tell you what, let's do a couple more and then we'll end there this evening as I obviously got stuck a little bit. So I was going to try to make it a little further than we're going to make, but we'll do a couple more and we'll end there. Verse 13, even in laughter, a heart may sorrow, and the end of mirth may be grief. Again, it's another one of the Proverbs that isn't really a statement of good or bad. It's just a statement of, of fact. It says, even in laughter, a heart may sorrow, and at the end of mirth, you know, the, the, the place of that may be grief. Kind of a similar proverb to what we just saw, that in one sense, that nobody else can enter into our own kind of experience in that midst of it. But it is just one of those places that we can understand. He says, okay, just because somebody's laughing doesn't mean there's not sorrow. 
And just because somebody's, you know, at the, at the end of this place of joy, there still can be grief. And somehow that's just one of these things that's just helpful to understand, uh, a place of seeing past all that. Some have said it this way, that on this side of eternity, you know, there is no unadulterated joy. On this side of, of eternity, there's, there's always something that has sorrow. There's always brokenness. There's always places where that happens in the midst of our lives. And so sometimes just being able to know that, but sometimes even just being able to see that. Because some of these Proverbs are helping us relate to others. And I think that was part of the previous one. It says, hey, don't, you can't enter into somebody else's joy or sorrow. Not completely. You can, you can count, but you, you, you can't be there. But also to understand just because somebody... I don't know how to say that better. Just because somebody's laughing all the time doesn't mean they're not sad. Doesn't mean they're not hurting. Doesn't mean they're not broken. Don't just assume because maybe you have a friend or a family member and they put there the life of the, you know, they are so funny. Like they, they obviously, it's like, ah, no. I mean, there's always brokenness and there's a place of just making sure that we don't lose sight of what that looks like. Verse 14. The backslider in heart will be filled with his own ways, but a good man will be satisfied from above. This is the backslider, the person who is, in this picture of backsliding is one that's moving away from God, moving away from him and his ways. That the idea that the Bible calls us to be in this upward goal of pursuit that we talked about on Sunday morning, that we're pressing upward towards the call of Christ. The backslider is like moving backwards and down. So the backslider and that place where it happens is in heart, that place where, again, there is this person that you are really understand, says that will fill you with your own ways. That in many ways, that becomes that you reap what you sow, that you get what you're working in the midst of that. The contrast helps us to see it a little bit more. The good man, the one who's not backsliding, the one who's pressing up and after God, that one, it's going to be satisfied from above. That's the place where God becomes that one that meets them. There's a way to live life where God says, hey, I, I, I would meet you. And we've been talking about that a little bit in the Proverbs tonight, right? Where he said, hey, if you have knowledge and if you're, you know, if you're a scoffer in heart and you reject God, it's, it's, you're not going to get it. If, if there's a place where you refuse his ways, it's not going to work for you. And if you're in this place where we're pulling back, it's as if God in some ways, leaves you to yourself. That, in, that, that part of the, the, the pain of suffering and a part of the, the curse of sin is that as we pull back, God just says, okay, well, you want to do life on your own? Do life on your own. You, you want to try this out without me? Do it without me. And you be the one that supplies your life. You be the one that, that is that. And hopefully that would be one of those places that you would realize very, very quickly that doesn't go well for you. In contrast, this person is doing right. God is the one from above, that he's the one that gives us help, that he's the one that gives us strength, that he's the one that renews us and invites us into a place that says, hey, that would be a place where God himself would meet with me, where, where he would be the one that would look at us and say, you having a hard time with life? I'll help you. You know, come lean upon me. Come, come walk with me. And, and, and I'll, I'll renew your strength. Yeah, I will be the one that would refresh you and, and, and strengthen you and uphold you with my righteous right hand, God would say. And, and powerful realities that invite us into this relationship with him, which is how we want to do life. Like, you know, hopefully you kind of get this and it's like, okay, there's, if, if, if God is as good as he says he is, and he is, 
one that would open up truth to us and meet us and reveal himself to us and be our satisfaction, then that's certainly the choice. It's like, that's, that's the way I want to go. That's the, the way I, I want to live because I want to be one who is satisfied from above, who that God would be my life, help, and strength. You know, I, I think about it this evening. We've talked about a bunch of stuff, and this is a good space for us to end with just an invitation towards which side of the equation are you on on this? Again, it might be here this evening that, you're, that you have rejected him, and you're a scoffer who is not getting it, and even this evening missing it, and God, like, then, then you're the source of your life. Like, you are going to be the source, savior, help, and that's not going to go well for you. And maybe even this evening, God would just show you that and draw you to him. We would hope that tonight you would see that our God is bigger and better and beautiful, and he would draw you to that. If you're his, but you're just doing poorly, because backsliding so often is a picture of being a follower of God. So often the term backslider, first of all, assumes that we were moving forward at one point in time, that we were doing well, that, that we were pressing upward. But now as you backslide, it's not going well. And part of it should be that, that place of all of a sudden it becomes empty. All of a sudden, you know, you're the source of your life. You're the one that's supposed to maintain you. And you can, you, can make, you can plastic that up for a little while, but it doesn't go well. And if that's a little bit of a reminder right now, if you're feeling that, if you're in that place of thinking, I feel that, I, I, I feel empty, and I feel like I'm not being upheld, then I'm just inviting you. you know, God says that, you know, again, if we would seek him, we'd find him. If we would surrender to him, if we would be, do that which is good, then he would be the one that from heaven, from, from above, that he would be our life. He would be our help. He would be our strength. He would be the one that would carry us in, in this space. And what an incredible invitation that is to be one that says, okay, that's the road that I want to be going down. I don't want to be the scoffer. I don't want to be the one that's doing his own thing and that I, you know, doing what's right in my own eyes. That's not the life I want because not only does it not end well, it misses out on everything that God said he would do, that he would uphold us, that he would supply, that he would be our strength. And he's inviting you to that space this evening. So again, maybe that's where you're just needing to get back to her. Maybe you're there and it's just a good reminder to stay there. But I want you to see this in a way that would invite us towards a, a way of life that would be right and good and wise. So, tell you what, let's end there. And so you can close your Bibles, your notebooks, whatever it is you have open. And I just want to lead us in prayer and ask that God would draw us to this, that God would meet us in a way that would compel us to a wise way of living. Father, right now we come this evening and we think about all that we've been talking about and, and seeing this evening. I thank you for your wisdom that is both good and true. And I honor you right now for it. I honor you that you are a God who speaks these things. But more than that, you are a God who responds. That you have said, if we would seek you with honesty, integrity, not being a scoffer, then we would find you. We would find you we search for you with all our heart, if we, if we would put ourselves there, you would be one who would renew us. You said that those who wait upon you, you renew their strength. God, I, I long for that. I pray for any that are outside of a relationship with Jesus tonight, who are in that sense are wrong with you. Would you draw them to be right with you, which only happens through Jesus? Would you bring them to a place where they would recognize that you are the only hope and source 
God, I cry out for these that don't know you and pray for salvation. God, then I want to pray for some of those that are here or watching online, and they're yours, but they've backslidden. They're yours, but they've not been moving forward. They've been moving backwards. And it doesn't, it's empty. It's lonely. It's unsatisfying. It's not helpful. May that in itself just remind them of where they are, how they even got there. Thank you that you heal the, the, the backslider, that you restore and you renew. Thank you that you are a God who does that, do that now. Turn the backslider around and bring them to you to find you to be the one that would satisfy them from above. God, for those who are seeking to do that, none of us perfectly, but would you draw us to see this afresh and just say, God, I, I want to live with you. I want to walk intentionally, purposely, rightly. I want you to govern just the course of my, my life, my choices, not my own gut, not what I feel. I want you to be the one who is my God. And Lord, believing that you both are right, but that you provide, that you would uphold, that you would satisfy. God, I ask that and just ask for your strength in that. I ask that you would cause us to live wisely in these foolish days. Help. We pray for that now as we surrender this to you. In Jesus' name, amen.